0: And now, the Low Post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast, recording on a Wednesday midday after the Miami Heat won their sixth consecutive game, inching closer to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, the least discussed number one seed in recent NBA history. Having recovered from the Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra kerfuffle, and joining us to talk all things Heat and NBA defense and lots of other stuff. The one and only starting center for the Miami Heat. One-time NBA All-Star. Should have been two. Should have been at least two. Bam (laughs) Adebayo. What's up, Bam?
1: What's up, man? What's up?
0: Should have been two. This season, too many missed games, I think. Uh, Injury at the wrong time. Last year, He should have made it.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, injury is always a gift and a curse. Uh, You know me. I don't like to miss games. So, uh, this was... Me having to sit down somewhere, basically, because, you know, I played all 82 before, you know, shortened season Olympics and then going into this season. And I guess the man above was like, you, you got to take a break. <laughs> um.
0: So you're going to you're. it looks like you're going to be the number one seed last night. We're recording this Wednesday. You beat the Charlotte Hornets. The Toronto Raptors beat the Atlanta Hawks. And the Brooklyn Nets beat the Houston Rockets, moved from 10th to 8th in one night. So, you know, if you're first, okay, and the Nets are in 9th or 10th, if they get in, they can only be the 8th seed. So, you'll face the Nets. If they're 7th and 8th, they could be the 7th seed and face any of the teams below you. So, my question I want the real answer. Are you looking at the standings? Are you tracking the games? Do you? Because there's a difference. I don't. I don't. You may not want to say it publicly. There's a difference between Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets, and like you know those those other teams. Do you care?
1: We don't. I mean, in the playoffs, is you know it's it's it doesn't matter about standings at that point. Uh, you know, in my opinion, like we we've seen got we've seen teams where they can be the number one seed and uh, and lose in the second round. And we've seen fifth seeds go to the finals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Talking from experience. So in that way, uh, I feel like we just got to play our game. You know, we just got to be the best we can be. And, you know, really hone into our our culture and uh, our standards that we hold.
0: You've had. You missed like 25 games. Jimmy's missed a bunch of games. Kyle's missed a bunch of games for personal reasons. Even Heroes missed games here or there. Now you have a new starting five with Max Struess. Has the has the in and out nature of the season has it been hard? Do you, do you still feel like we're you're figuring out what you are as a team, or do you feel like as long when we
1: get everybody we we could just lock in like this? Uh, I feel like we can lock in like this. I mean, you know, the guys we have on a team, you know, one through 15. The ultimate goal is to win. You know, that's, that's the, that's the ultimate goal. That's everybody's mindset. And with that being said, everybody's willing to sacrifice to get a win. Um, you know, one through 15 and it is it, one of those things. It makes the game truly easier. It makes our, it makes our locker room closer and uh, it's just a better, a better mental state for our team. if Everybody's on the same page. So I've spent
0: a whole year on TV. Getting asked about the Nets and the Sixers and the Bucks and MVP. Like, one out of every four times, I'll be like, I will literally say, hey, we should probably talk about the team that's number one in the Eastern Conference. In fact, there was a Nets-Heat game where you guys beat the Nets, and all we did was talk about the Nets the next day. I said, you know, there was another team that, like, won, won the game. That's good. And even Vegas, Vegas has you, like, the fourth or fifth team to come out of the East. Do you you and you got a bunch of grumpy dudes on your team? Do you do you realize that you're being overlooked a little bit? Do you like being overlooked? Do you realize that that this has been going on?
1: I mean, nobody likes being overlooked. Uh I feel like nobody likes that. Um, but in my opinion, I feel like it, it puts a bigger chip on our shoulder because, you know, everybody's just, you know, they're just number one. It's it's whatever, like uh somebody well, Kyle Kuzma tweeted, um, you know, when we had our little, the little scuffle, you call it, what would you call it earlier? A
0: kerfuffle, a kerfuffle.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say that because that just sounds crazy. But <laughs> Kal Kuzma tweeted, it's funny, we're just hearing about them and they've been number one in the East for months. And it just puts a chip on our shoulder, You know, you know, people are counting us out. So it, it, like we we don't even pay attention to that, you know. I feel like because a lot of our games are, you know, you know, super exciting, and we play like real, like you know, traditional basketball. Uh, I feel like nobody really counts us in, but it's whatever. I, I mean, was gonna
0: ask why why you think it is. I mean, because you don't you You don't have like a t- maybe a, a super duper top five nBA player but you got some stars on your team miami's a, miami's like a miami's like a hot market it's not like in the it's not like in the middle of nowhere what
1: is what is is it just because these other teams have had so much drama what is it uh in my opinion i feel like the media doesn't want to want to talk about you know undrafted you know undrafted players uh until they actually do win so it's like we don't have any top five picks on our team. We don't. We Do we have top ten? It's a think good question.
0: Is there a top ten pick on your team?
1: No, I don't think it is. I think the closest is Tyler. Me and Tyler, that's it. Is it? I don't think it is a top ten pick on our team. And looking at it that way, you know, almost 50% or more of our roster, you know, are undrafted guys, uh, you know, who are, who are still coming along, trying to figure out how to win, how to be, how to be a basketball player in this league, how to stay in this NBA. And, you know, I feel like they just, they don't want to talk about it. You know, it's a, it's an incredible story that you can have 60% of your roster be undrafted and number one in the East. You know, I feel like that's a great headline for, for, you know, people, but, Whatever um,
0: We have to talk about The kerfuff Oh by the way My producer just said I'll You I'll... do have one You do have a top 10 pick You do have a top 10 pick He just hasn't played Very much this year Due to injury Ah uh, Keith No Oladipo Vic It is Vic Yeah Number but... 3 I think Number 2 or 3 um, yeah. So So we gotta talk about The scuffle So I rewatched it This morning And I was like I gotta, I gotta see what Bam is doing In, in this scuffle Okay, phase one of the scuffle. You are kind of holding back Haslam, so in that moment, and you know how tough Haslam is. You've been, you're a heat lifer. He's a heat lifer. In that moment, are you like, I? This is an emergency job for me to hold back Udonis Haslam, or everything's going to be fine? What are you saying? Do you even remember what you're saying?
1: Uh, I don't. But that the thing that people didn't get. that's us in practice all the time
0: is it really though that spo
1: spo it gets to that point because when we start competing in between those lines you got to understand we got undrafted dudes on our team we got dudes with chips on their shoulder we got dudes you know fighting for their lives you know to feed their family so in practice it's a brawl with us like we there there is no like we're going to take it easy on each other because we're teammates. All that goes out the window is your team versus ours. And that's how we look at it. And, it, and we got guys, you know, when when the tension is up, we rise to the occasion, everybody start talking, and then we going back and forth. So it get heated like that in our practice. It does. <clears throat> you know, we've, we've had a couple of scuffles in our practice. It, it's going to happen. Um, and in all reality, we all brothers. I mean – we're gonna have disagreements. It's not always gonna be okay. And I feel like that's that's what that was. It's just, you know, we, we got we were losing. And that's all you need to know because we're all we all wanna win that bad. Phase
0: two. You then move on to holding back, not holding back, but just sort of shooing away Jimmy in phase two as Jimmy and Spo are yelling at each other out on the floor. What do you remember? The lip readers have tried to analyze what they're saying to each other. Is it just nonsense? Do you even remember what they were saying? Are you was there any part of you that was like, I kind of would like to actually see them fight to see how 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 much Spo could give them a run? <laughs>
1: Nah, I can't. I can't do that. (laughs) But it just, in my mind, it just showed how much all of us care about winning that bad. You know, the fact that, you know, our coach wants to win that bad, that he's, he's like us, like, on edge, like, cursing, going at it with the players. And, you know, it it's all because of winning and we want to win that bad. Uh, you know, they had a couple guys out and we feel like we should have, you know, we had to win. And, you know, it's just one of those things where everybody's emotions is just, it's just cause we want to win that bad. Like I, that's the only thing I can really tell you, like the fact that we want to win that bad, that happens, you know, it, it's happened before. Uh, I remember they was playing a clip with d and, and Spoke going at it one time. Uh, d going with going at it with Gary Payton. Um, you got UD going at his teammates. It's just everybody's holding everybody to a standard and accountability.
0: What's the aftermath of that? Cuz I did hear there 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 was a I don't know if it was and I never know what counts as an official team meeting or players meeting, but there was a discussion of like, "All okay, right, does anyone do we got to get some stuff out out in the air just to get it out in the open?" So what what was that like? Was it directed at Jimmy? Was it just normal? What was it like?
1: I mean, the whole discussion was basically like how we lost. Uh it wasn't really about the the, the situation. Um because we knew why we had the the situation, it was it was just boil over from all of us <laughs> wanting to win, and we're not playing the right way, and you know we're trying to figure things out at the same time, and it's just not adding up. And at that point, you, you you're gonna have frustration. You know it, that's going to show, uh, as you can see with uh, Spo, Jamie, Ud. Uh, it's just all boiled down to winning, but in the meeting it wasn't anything about that. It was about how we can be better, you know, how we can figure this out before. I mean, what we at that time we had what like six games left? No, something not, a little
0: bit more, I think. Yeah, because you've like won six straight. Games. You've won six straight right now, I think. So like oh. ten, ten, nine, ten, something like that, and you have figured it out. Like six straight wins. It feels like it, it now. It feels like it's almost like let's something to joke about at the time. It was like, Oh my God, is this team melting down? But you guys didn't feel that inside. It seems like.
1: Yeah. But we didn't like the crazy part about it, Like I said, about Kakuzma, you know, weren't nobody talking about us before that happened. Like soon as that happened and we dropped four, everybody was like, Oh, it might be of falling off. woo. And now we want five straight. And it's like, all right, back to normal. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. All
0: right. So it's award season. I went through my all-defense team picks uh, or tentative picks the other day. Um, Defensive player of the year. It looked like it was going to be Draymond Green 20, 30 games into the season when they had the number one defense. He got hurt. He's missed half the season. Utah's defense with Gobert as a three-time winner, they're kind of middle of the pack. They've had a wild season up and down, a lot of drama. Marcus Smart's gotten a lot of attention lately, a guy you know well having played a lot of tough playoff games against him. The races is kind of open. And when you got injured, I was like, boy, I wonder, I wonder if Bam's going to miss just like, you know, there's that number of games you miss and you kind of just fall out of contention, but you're going to end up with like 56, 57 games. I assume this is an award you want to win. You're a very unique defender among big men, switches, ISOs. We'll talk about the whole thing. Um, you feel like you've, you feel like you've made a case, like you're, you're invested in this. You want to win it? Yeah,
1: hundred percent. I do want to win that award. <laughs> It's not something I'm just doing for fun. Like, I do want to win that award. But, you know, what we've done this year that helped my case was win. Win and our defense be top, top five. You know, that right there shows like, nah, that's defensive player to your caliber. When you're number one in the East and your team is top five in defense or top three. Uh, I feel like that's that's that meets the criteria
0: you have I was looking at some information yesterday you've switched the most pick and rolls in the entire league number one most switches and the points per possession are very very low when people attack you on switches it generally doesn't go well uh and as a result you've defended even though you've missed all these games you've defended like the sixth or seventh most isolations because when you switch that's the goal like you're gonna just there's not gonna be any rotations you're gonna have to attack me one-on-one when you came into the league did you envision that you would be this kind of defender did or did you think it'll be it'll be a mix I'll be a traditional rim protector too like what did you envision that it would be this switch heavy for you and do you like it
1: yeah I feel like uh I felt like I envisioned this, you know, and just because I started getting on the court because of defense. Like, that's why I started playing, because, like, I could switch, because I was athletic and, you know, able to switch one through five and be able to guard everybody on the court. Uh. So, yeah, after a while of you, you know, processing that you can, compete at the highest level with some of the greatest scores, shooters uh, you can imagine in this game right now. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, I was like, I can be the defensive player of the year. Because at first it was like, I just want to be all-team defense. And then I was like, you know, my confidence starts to rise. And it's like, no, I can be DPOY. Like, I have that, I have that capability. And, you know, Spo, uh, our staff, and, you know, just watching film has gave me the opportunity to become that. And, you know, just being instinctual and just going out there and just doing the unthinkable, like like guarding a guy on a pick-and-roll, switch to pick-and-roll, he throws the lob. You go from guarding the dude who throws throws the lob to blocking the lob. You know, that's just, that's, you don't see that every day. And it's because, you know, Spoh lets me be who I am. Like every once in a while I do, I admit this, I go rogue every once in a while. I will, but you know, he allows me to just be myself.
0: Well, the same thing happened on offense too, right? Because you know, you now you bring the ball up, you're kind of a point center, but for a while it was like, All right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna let Bam do that. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't realize he was gonna like do do all of that and there was there would be some turnovers or supposed to be like all right, maybe maybe it's a little too much point bam going on. But you were like, No, I'm I'm like if you're gonna let me do it, I'm gonna do it, right? You're gonna you went rogue that way too.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's let me grow as an offensive player too. Uh Definitely with the turnovers, because sometimes you'd be like, you shouldn't throw that bounce back. And in my mind, I'd be like, well, Spo he was open. So like that's why I threw. And the thing I like about, you know, me and Spo's relationship, you know, we trust each other. So every time I mess up, you know, I give him, I give him like a my bad. That's on me. Like, but m- more more times I'm a I'm going to make the right play. And I feel like that's what he he trusts me with. And, uh, you know, that's valuable in, in this day's NBA when, you, when you're talking about trusting your coach and trusting your players.
0: Um, I'm going to preface this question by saying you can swear on this podcast. It is allowed. Um, I wrote If we're going to talk about switching and defense, I wrote a profile of you that came out right before the world ended with the pandemic. And when I was starting to interview people months and months before... They said you you got to ask everybody you can about Bam's pre-draft workout with us because we have never seen anybody go at Spo and Riley, Riley, the Godfather, with trash talk like Bam did. And it wasn't like gentle trash talk. It was profanity-laced trash talk. And it started, I believe, when they asked you to do a drill in which you had to switch onto some perimeter players and you were and you got the sense, I think, that they were testing to see if you could do it. And their uncertainty, I think, almost offended you. Now, can you tell can you tell that story from your perspective and what it felt like in the moment to be like, whoa, these, these are some words coming out of my mouth, and those are some NBA heavyweights that I, I haven't been drafted yet, man. I'm not in the league yet.
1: Uh it was definitely one of those things where uh you know when you feel like somebody like goes at your your pride. Like, you're, you know, just like as, as a man, you know, somebody just going at your pride and like like who you are. In that moment when, you know, they're telling me to switch everybody, switch and, you know, guard, like the ball to go out of bounds. they be like, bam, guard him at the top of the key, five seconds. Uh, and I started realizing like, all right, I did like the third or fourth time y'all f- with me at this point. <laughs> so, when I get the last stop, the ball rolls over there by, you know, Coach Riley, Spo, everybody, executives, Lonzo Morton's over there. um, And I look at him and it's like, you got me f-ed up. I'm getting all these stops. There's nothing more you need to see at this point. Like, y'all got me f-ed up out here uh, thinking, I'm gonna just crash. And in my mind, yeah, it was a great idea. <laughs> it was a great idea that I did. Now, backstory, I was kind of like, damn, you know, if they don't like those type of players, this ain't for me. Like, because this is who I am, like, I'm like when I feel like I'm tested, I'm going, I'm going to talk. Like that that's that's part of the basketball game. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna say what I gotta say. And if you get offended, then I can't be on your team because every day in practice I'm gonna be like that. And they loved it. So they did. <laughs> so it's one of those like just a great uh, story to tell, you know, just seeing their faces was just like an awe. Like, <laughs> yeah, because they was kind of looking at me like, he just said we got him up. <laughs> like, is that this eighteen-year-old kid has enough balls to tell the head coach, the president, everybody over there, you got me up? And I felt like it was a moment where it was like, nah, this is this is who we want. Like, this is the the dog mentality that we need in our, you know, in the culture.
0: your team call 1-800 direct tv or visit directtv.com. sign up today claim based on total games carried on sports networks sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered When you switch that much on defense, the I don't know if it's a downside. It's a feature of switching that much. There are a lot of possessions where you switch one pick and roll, switch something else. Then, like, the rest of the possession goes on, and you're, on, you're now guarding because of all the switches. You're guarding some rant. You're guarding – I'll just pick a name. Isaac Okoro. You're guarding some shooter off the ball in the corner far away from the rim. And then a drive will happen, and – there won't be any rim protection because, you know, you're the rim protect the best rim protector on the team. And there's part of me that thinks, man, the, it, the switching really worked. It stalled them out. But one drive, and then I'm like, man, I kind of wish Bam was near the rim. Do you feel that tension? Like, have you talked about it as a team? Like, is there a way we can balance the switching and the rim protection a little bit more? Or is, is it just you have a top-five defense, it's working, leave it alone?
1: Uh, we do talk to it. And, and that's where weak side – we over-communicate so I can't become the low man to go block the shot. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's that's not nah, – we're not saying that with defense. Uh, but we have had conversations, you know, about like, oh, Bam gets switched onto the guard and, then, you know, they shoot it and the big man gets the offensive rebound because he, he was contesting the shot. So they're all going to have those type of, type of times. But in my opinion – all defense would go through that. Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes the defensive player of D or B down there, and they still get a layup. Like, the, the difference is we're – like, this is the NBA. Like, everybody's good. Like, <laughs> that's the thing about it. Uh, you know, but uh, the teammates I have, you know, they're working – night in night out to figure out how to make this work
0: and we have uh, let's 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 go through your career quickly a little bit um bubble finals you alluded to it the number five seed to make the finals in the bubble you get hurt in game one i you watched the clip of you getting hurt it was a drive on dwight howard where something happened with your neck uh shoulder area you missed games two and three which had to just be brutal talk about and i've heard a little bit about the backstory but but tell us a little bit about your efforts to play those games, how badly you wanted to play them, the team being like, "Bam, you, you can't play. And, and I just remember hearing, like, he can't really lift his arm that much. And, and how hard was it? How, how, like, what percentage were you when you came back in game four? I mean, that, to make the finals and have that happen in game one, it's, it's just, it sucks.
1: Uh, it does suck. Very much does suck. Uh, so they gave me a test. And they said, if you can do a push-up, you can play. So, you know, obviously, like, how I think about it, because, like, I'm one of those people, like, I feel like I don't get injured, knock on wood, like, you know. But so going into the finals, I think I hurt my shoulders. Like, all right, I'm going to rub it off. Give me me two days. Give me a game. And game two comes, and then, like, do a push-up. And I can't, I'm doing a one-hour push-up at this point. <laughs> there is no, like, pushing with my other arm. So game three come, I'm I'm kind of doing the push-up. And he was like, no, nah, that's not good. enough. And then I finally get to play uh, by doing that push-up. Now, going back, I was probably 50, 56%. But it was just like, I wanted to play that badge. I wanted to be out there that bad to feel that environment, be in the finals and compete for a championship. Like with my teammates where we all fought this far. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's a disappointment to lose, but it's like a, you know, what if I didn't get injured? Like what could have happened? Like how the games would have turned out.
0: Cause you, you heard all the noise even going into last year. Well, You know, the heat, that was kind of, it was a little bit of a fluke. You know, the bubble, they were, they were the heat culture was perfect for the bubble. All these other teams had all these distractions. The heat, they're just made for that kind of basketball-only mentality. You you heard all that noise, I would assume, right? That it was, quote-unquote, not a, a, some people called it a fluke, but that it was, you know, let's say an advantageous set of circumstances for you guys, right? You I assume you guys all heard that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's whatever. Uh, you know we like I said, you know we got a bunch of dudes that's been counted out anyway. That just adds, you know, a, a bigger chip to our shoulder.
0: Um, have you discussed in speaking of those finals? Have you had speaking of things that would require a team meeting? Those finals or the bubble, maybe I don't know if you played the Lakers in the seeding games in the bubble, but that is when Marquise Morris, infamously, now your teammate labeled Duncan Robinson Jimmy Neutron and began a Lakers-wide Jimmy Neutron taunt to poor Duncan Robinson, who's just trying to go out there and make shots. He can't help that he looks like Jimmy Neutron. When you guys get Markeith Morris, does there have to be a meeting? We have to retire the Jimmy Neutron name. You have to apologize. Like, do you have to have a summit about this?
1: Uh, No, because backstory, in the summer, you know, we play pickup and have your runs. Uh, before the bubble happened and before the pandemic, you know the Morris twins used to used to hoop with us uh you know they're trainers we all got uh same trainers in Miami and we all kind of use the same gym so it's funny that that happened because we know Marquise before like the bubble happened so it's kind of like a joke <laughs> and also obviously like. You want to get in the other team's head. Like, you you want Duncan thinking about something other than basketball. Like, yeah. So, to me, smart tactic. Uh, (laughs) And now he's on your team. Yeah. But now it's it's all fun and games. It ain't no bad blood and water.
0: So, I wrote a lot about your background. It's been written about a lot. You're raised by a single mom living in a single wide trailer in – rural north carolina talked all about that you told me at the time i wrote the story you hadn't signed your big extension yet it was coming and you said you know i've told my mom the first thing i'm doing we're buying her we're, we're buying her a really nice house now at that point she was in an, in an apartment in the same high-rise you were in right some like a little some amount of floors down yes, and you sir. were worried when i wrote the story you said my mom's a country lady she's going to want to move back to north carolina or to kentucky And I'm not going to be able to handle it because I'm going to miss her too much. And I think the end of the story was you bought her a house, but you bought her a house in Miami or near Miami. So she's close. How close is it? And was it hard to convince her? Like, that's a win for you. You were afraid she was going to be away for a lot of the year. It's a win for you. And and, and it must feel you posted video of when, when she saw the house for the first time
1: as a son.
0: I mean, that's got to be a crowning
1: moment of your whole life. Yeah, 100 Um, percent, especially, you know, where we come from. Uh, Just having the opportunity to give my mom something she's never had uh, her whole life. She's never been able to say, this is my own house. And, you know, seeing the struggle that she went through, you know, getting up every day, going to work, well, walking to work every day. Uh, back and forth, you know, putting food on the table, taking care of me, and doing it on our own, and making it look normal. Like me growing up, I thought it was normal, like having a single parent. You know, obviously, you know, kids have, you know, both their parents, but to me, it was like, ah, oh, you know, I got one parent. Like that's not, that's not out the ordinary, but me growing up seeing like, no like that's, that's hard. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not an easy road to, to take on by yourself. And, you know, the least I could do was give her something that she has never had, which was her own house. Now I feel like, you know, her going to the games, her, you know, being in this environment, it converted her. So she wanted to stay in Miami with the good weather, you know, we don't really got snow and and really cold winters. Uh so I feel like she fell in love with that part. And uh, you know, obviously being close to her son. How how close is it like a
0: drive? Is it walkable? How close are you? From each other? Yeah. Uh
1: I say like 35
0: minutes. Okay, so there's a you got a buffer. There's a buffer. Okay. You're not in each other's hair all that. Can you can you still walk the dog? Because I know she has this dog Zeus. It's a little. There's one. Of, it's a little dog. And your friends told me like Bam loves this dog. Like it's almost Bam's dog more than his mom's dog. Bam will go down to her apartment and walk this little dog around around downtown Miami. Do you miss the dog? How is your relationship with Zeus? Who first wow. of all who named it Zeus?
1: I named him Zeus. Uh, he has a very big, uh, like, like his, his personality is like, he's He's got some, he's got some, he's got some bravado. He's got the little dog bravado. Like, I think I'm a big dog. Like he's, yeah, he's the, he feels like he's the, the biggest dog in the room. Like that's how he feels. His personality is like, I'm the biggest person in the room and this is how we're going about it. We're revolving around me. So, naming him Zeus, when first of all, when you first think of a dog named Zeus, you don't think of, like, a little Bichon. You think of, like, some big Waller, Great Dane or something. But when people see him, they laugh. But when you actually start, like, seeing how he operates, no, he acts like he's the, the biggest dog in the room. Like, Like, there is no... You know, we're gonna walk him and he's gonna see a big dog and he's gonna run between your legs. No, that's not Zeus. Zeus is barking. <laughs> Zeus wants to start scuffles. That that's that's little Zeus. That's Zeus.
0: He sounds like the Kyle Lowry of dogs. This is what you're describing. A undersized point guard who wants to start fights, take charges, hit people, not afraid of anybody. he
1: sounds like the Kyle Lowry of the local that, dog scene. That that is that is that is hands down, Zeus. Now, we're with my mom, peaceful dog, greatest dog ever. You know, listen, if anybody wants to get a dog, a little dog, he's hypoallergenic. So I feel like that's the best dog for anybody. Super intelligent. You know, if you ever want to get a dog for wife, child, and, you know, anybody's allergic to anything, he's hypoallergenic. So he don't shed and all that anyway. So, yeah, get a Zeus. And can you
0: still, do you, do you feel like your relationship with Zeus remains strong? You can still see Zeus, you can still walk Zeus?
1: Yeah, Okay. I still go see him. I still go uh, walking. Uh, you know, we hang out with my mom, go get her nails done. Me and Zeus, I hang out at the house.
0: By the way, you should know this. Speaking of you guys being overlooked, um, one of the people I talked to for your story is this woman, Claudia Alligood. Um, who was, who was, the, the, every town has this person where they kind of do everything and know everyone. I don't even remember what her job was. She worked for your high school some way or volunteer. I don't know. It's just every team, every town has this person who everybody counts on to do everything. She, two, two and a half years later, Bam, she will text me out of the blue. Why are you guys talking about the nets on get up? Well, you should be talking about Bam and the heat. This this old lady in rural North Carolina is watching ESPN and sending me media criticism on your behalf about just you know you guys talk about this. Here. I'm like Claudia, I'm trying. I don't know what else. I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying. Just just FYI, that's how loyal she is.
1: That's a I appreciate it. If you can hear this, Ms Alligator, I appreciate that.
0: Last question, and it's got to be a basketball question. because is a basketball podcast. My my. The thing I've been watching for the Heat all season, we know you're going to be a great defensive team. You have you, Kyle, PJ, Jimmy in the starting five. It's going to be hard to score. And by the way, I do think you're a defense player of the year candidate. I have you first team all defense right now. I don't know who I'm voting for, defense player here, but you're going to be first team all defense for me for sure. Um, my, the test for me has been when the game slows down can their half-court offense score enough points? Because it's not a great shooting lineup by modern NBA standards. You guys obviously have a ton of IQ, a ton of passing, cutting, screening, and you always have one, now more than ever, two good shooters, great shooters on the floor at all times. Diagnose your half-court offense for us. Can you squeeze out enough points when the game gets slow? You're facing great switching defenses like a Boston. Uh, Can you guys score enough, do you think?
1: I feel like we can. Like you said, we have a ton of guys with high IQs. So, after game one, we're going to watch the film. We're going to be like, all right, this is what we can do differently. This is how we can attack so-and-so. We can get him on the switch. Uh, this is how we can scheme. And that was – that's been us. Uh, you know, just high IQ guys the whole season, figuring it out. And – you know, once you figure out how a team guards you, then it's like, all right, this is how we'll go about it. This is what we'll do. And, you know, our staff has done a great job of that, you know, figuring out schemes and ways to attack in the half court because, like you said, the game does slow down in the playoffs. Uh, just being able to, you know, have this many guys on the court with that IQ and then also you have coaches working day day out to figure it out also that that connects. And I feel like that's what that's what'll make us score enough points. You know, just having, you know, guys that have that high IQ. Um it's going to be really
0: interesting. East is no joke. We'll see how you who guys end up drawn in the first round, but you guys have had a fantastic season. It's been really fun to watch a fantastic season despite all those injuries and absences I talked about. It's been really fun to watch. Love watching you play. It's been a long time since I've seen you in person. I hope that Sorry. I hope that ends soon. Bam out of Bayou. Congratulations on everything. Keep it
1: up and thank you for your time. You said, "I'm your DPO, Zach." Do, <laughs> <don't> do that.
0: <laughs> For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash giftfinder today. That's Macy's.com slash giftfinder. All right, let's bring in Seattle icon, ESPN NBA expert, Mr. Kevin Pelton. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing well out here in the Pacific Northwest.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's the weather's nice. It's crap out here in the east. It's still cold and rainy, but such is life. Kraken season is well underway. We're we're watching this uh,
2: we're watching the lottery standings at this point.
0: The storm season is is coming. Sue Birds giving you one more year. Everything's happening in Seattle. The intent of this podcast was to do a quick all-rookie, Rookie of the Year check-in, because I think you have a... I don't think it's a controversial Rookie of the Year take, but I think it's going to end up being the contrarian Rookie of the Year take. But before we do that, in the intervening time between scheduling this podcast and executing the podcast, the Los Angeles Lakers season has ended. The grave digger has thrown the dirt on top of the grave. It's over. I think no matter what your expectations were for them... They may be the single most disappointing one-season team in the history of the NBA. All the other candidates people bring up, KP, are like, well, it's Steve Nash, Paul Gasol, Dwight, you know, so this is going to be fun. Like, it's like, yo, they made the playoffs. Like, they had 45 wins, they made the playoffs. The Nets, when they traded for KG and Paul Pierce, they made the second round. This team is almost 20 games under 500. They stink. They absolutely—they're like as bad as the Kings, I don't think any single – even if you were lower on them than consensus, I think – is there any team in your database that, like – I? there's no precise way to measure disappointment, but I just – I don't really remember anything quite like this.
2: I, I haven't looked at this. I think there are teams that may have – Gone below their preseason line by more than the Lakers did, just because of the fact that you know if you're tanking it, fully tanky at the end of the season, you can you can be really bad. But those teams aren't disappointing. Like you mentioned, all those teams, like the original team that was that was considered this kind of disappointment was the 200304 Lakers when they added Carl Malone and Gary Payton. That team made it to the NBA Finals. Like that was the level of under- disappointment at that point.
0: I don't get that one. That that team is considered even like in the moment. That's one thing. Like those are big names. It's the Lakers, they had 3 peated it. This is like that that one now seems like yeah, it's a pretty good season. <laughs> I mean, I know they lost and they sort of ended the finals in dissension and all that, but uh, but still. So like what to, before we get to the off season for them it, it, there's been this rush of columns and analysis this week of like, well, it wasn't just the injuries. You can't just blame the injuries the Lakers, that's skirting the real issues. I don't really think anyone is just blaming the injuries except maybe the Lakers themselves. And Anthony Davis is is really, he's on the verge of becoming. This is the, I said this last week, this is like in the territory of the 2008 Celtics never lost a playoff series when they were healthy. Like it was like 2013, and people were like, oh man, what, this 2008 Celtics, they never lost a playoff series when they were healthy. I was like, okay, I don't really care, but that, maybe that's factually true. But I, I think everyone else, has more than acknowledged the, the other reasons why this went wrong. Between the rust trade, the minimum signings gone wrong, the injuries, what, what stands out to you, KP, Is maybe a, a reason that has been underplayed or under-discussed compared to the others that you think is more maybe a primary reason why this all went bust?
2: I mean, I think ultimately it's, we we had this question for a long period of time. What would it look like if a team were, you know, to completely erase the books? And then you go out in free agency and you sign like three max players and everybody else is a minimum contract other than the room exception. Like I remember we talked about this when the Lakers were trying to recruit Lamarcus Aldridge and someone, I can't even remember who the second guy was when they were maybe DeAndre Jordan at that point that summer and it would have been those three guys and kobe in all minimum contracts and my position was like people will be very excited about this team but they're not actually going to be very good because they'll have no depth and i think this year's lakers even though it wasn't exactly that scenario are proof of concept of that, that you have to have some level of depth beyond minimum, guys. And obviously, they were somewhat unlucky that Kendrick Nunn missed the entire season. And I think they were reasonable. It was reasonable for them to think they were going to get more from Taylor Horton Tucker than they did. But you just can't, at the end of the season, end up starting Wenyan Gabriel and expect to be a contender of any kind.
0: Poor Wenyan Gabriel, I- just by accident. Became, I did it too. He became the shorthand for Lakers futility because he wasn't on the team until, it just, until like yesterday. Suddenly he's on the team. There's this vague knowledge even among NBA diehards that he's like he's bounced around. He's been in the G League. Then he was starting. And Austin Reeves had started enough games and been productive enough. This like oh, Austin Reeves pretty good. Wendy and Gabriel just came in as it was all falling apart. And now in 15 years we'll be having beers. But, yeah, man. That was like when the Lakers started Weny and Gabriel. Poor guy.
2: I mean, Austin Reeves at least like played well enough. He's going to get a mention later in this discussion. So he's one of the highlights of this season. But yeah, picking out Weny and Gabriel amongst you know DJ Augustine being waived by the Rockets and all of a sudden like he's a crucial part of your rallying to make the play. And like the, there's there's no shortage of examples of the Lakers, you know, turning to players that were out of the league or, or playing sparingly because they were that desperate.
0: It really is a perfect storm of just from all angles and in all volumes. So the rust trade, even those of us who are skeptical of it, I don't think we envisioned it to be an epic disaster on this level. And and the opportunity cost of not doing the buddy heel trade and at the same time doing the rust trade, which is more expensive than the buddy trade and costs you basically all the rest of the ingredients of the supporting cast that helped you win a title doubled on top of that choosing Horton Tucker over Caruso, which at the moment didn't seem, it seemed risky, but not terrible. And then part of the storm is THT just completely fails to develop this season, at least, right? This is a completely disappointing season. So that happens. And then I think the part of the Lakers summer that everyone applauded was like the flurry of minimum or tax mid level deals in Kendrick Nunn's case that came after the rush trade, and those of us who were skeptical of the rush trade were like, all right, well, I didn't love that, but, like, nice recovery, Rob polinka Malik Monk, and blah, blah, And everything but Monk, like, if you had ranked the importance of those signings theoretically at that time, I think Monk would have been one, and that hit, and now it hit so well that he's probably gone. And then after that, it might have been, like, Ariza, Bazemore, none in that order or some order of those three, and they got zero from any of those guys it and that's just a lesson like at the time all of that sounded exciting you remind yourself you signed seven to your point you signed seven or eight minimum contracts if two of them hit or three of them hit that's like a reasonably good outcome that's kind of what you should expect and i think we all looked at those names and thought well maybe like five out of eight of these guys will hit and it just It just didn't happen. It's really incredible. Everything went wrong. And then you throw the AD and LeBron injuries. Like, everything went wrong.
2: Wayne Ellington, you could probably throw into that group, too. He was, like, the NBA's leading three-point shooter much of last season. They haven't gotten almost anything from him. So, yeah, I I think it's been worse than anyone could have realistically expected. I obviously was also in that position of disliking the Westbrook trade. I also picked the Lakers to win the Western Conference. So, obviously, I didn't see it being this bad. Well,
0: and also, like... The, the injuries, like, oh, if only we were healthy and this and that. I'm like, all right, let's look at the play-in standings. Okay, the Pelicans started 3-16. and 3-16. Zion's missed the whole season. Every game. Ingram's missed 24 games. They're just like, man, yeah, we don't care. We'll keep fighting. Great job by the team. Great job by Willie Green. blitz the Lakers in the end. The Spurs were so uninterested in pursuing the play-in tournament that they traded their second-best player at the trade deadline for future conversation, and, and Josh Richardson has played well for them. Just traded Thad Young, who wasn't even playing for them, but is a useful veteran. They, 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 these teams wiped wipe the floor with the Lakers in the end. DeJounte Murray hasn't even been playing for the last week or so, and the Spurs keep winning. Like All of these teams are injured. All of these teams have limitations, and the Lakers just, they just fell apart. I don't even want to bemoan that anymore. The question now just becomes... And it's a pressing, urgent question with LeBron up for a contract extension this summer. KP, what can they even do? Like, everyone knows they get another draft pick to play with. They get the 2029 pick and the 2027 pick to trade. They still have the THT, non-Trojan horse trade package. Like, what can they even do?
2: Yeah, the LeBron extension, I think, is a key factor here. Because if he is willing to extend you know, especially if it's for more than one season and puts him into the theoretical, if Bronny James were able to come to the NBA after one year after high school, playing with him beyond that timeline, then I think you are probably more aggressive thinking short-term. Otherwise, I my sense is, what's the first rule of being in a hole?
0: What's there? Is there an actual answer to this question? What's the first rule of being in a hole? I mean, Don't a, dig any deeper. Yeah,
2: stop digging that's the answer and that's i guess my position is we talk about these potential moves they could make this summer like don't give up more draft picks don't give away your 2023 cap space in case lebron does decide to leave and you kind of pivot to anthony davis and and who can we get to play with him i i mean they're just so far away from contending at this point that i don't know it's worth sacrificing those elements of their future to try to be the fifth seed next year
0: because the nuggets and the clippers are coming the Clippers might be coming now. Like I said earlier this week, I think I don't. I would be surprised if Kawhi comes back this year. I but I'm surprised by a lot of things. But I, I just you know next year is a totally different story. Covington's been great for them. Powell's back now. Last night, West ain't getting any uh, shallower. Do you have any favorite Russell Westbrook trades? I mean, look if you can get you could get you could get something for Russ. THT and two unprotected firsts so those like two unprotected firsts that's a lot that's valuable you could get a real something for that what you have to do is scour the league and try to find guys under long-term contracts who are maybe overpaid maybe unwanted at least in comparison to future flexibility and draft picks by their current teams and try to find packages like that and the other thing is all you're looking for is is a team that's going to buy Russell Westbrook out. Like, none of these teams want Russell Westbrook to play for them. It just doesn't make any sense. He doesn't make sense for a building team. So you're getting him to get the picks, buy him out, save yourself a little bit of money this year, but a lot of money in future years if you trade long-term contracts. Did you find anything, KP? Do you have any hope other than the John Wall swap, which is like the ultimate NBA white flag trade?
2: I mean, I, that's the one that fits my criteria because it would probably cost the least, especially if Houston looks at it and says Westbrook is willing to give back more on a buyout than, than John Wall is because he'd have a more viable market somehow. I, I, I don't know if that's even the case at this point. Uh, you know, I think the, the long-term contracts violate my rule unless we're, again, in a world where LeBron is committed through 2025 and we're like, okay, we do need to go for it right now. And cap space in 23 is no longer a concern.
0: So you found—the answer is you found nothing. Well, I, you went, I left it, it to you. It looked,
2: I, I knew that you had something, so.
0: so. So what did you think of my Indiana one? Russell Westbrook, Talon Horton Tucker, two unprotected first-round picks for Buddy Heald and Malcolm Brogdon. Who says no to that?
2: I, I think that's a really intriguing one because, you know, the Heald fit we knew was there previously— Brogdon is the exact kind of guy you want on a team like this, can take some of the ball-handling duty off of you know, LeBron's plate and be a really good defender. His, his health is a bit of a concern. You're adding, you're adding another question mark on top of that's the other aspect of it is how much AD are you going to have next season. Uh, I, I would probably do that if I were the Lakers. It, again, if LeBron admitted, would,
0: would you do it if you were the Pacers? I can hear the Pacers fans yeah, recoiling because those are talented players one of whom the Pacers just got as part, not the main part, but a, some part of a landmark trade that looks like it's going to work out great for them. And it's like we're getting two picks and this guy that we're not even going to use. But that, the two picks, don't sleep on the two picks. Those are valuable picks. Would you do it if you're the Pacer or you just hang on to those guys and and
2: come what may? I probably would not because I think they do want to get a look at what this team actually looks like with Halliburton in there along with you know Brogdon's barely played lately and, and Miles Turner hasn't played at all since they made that trade. But, uh, it, you know, to your point about the picks, like, as compared to when the Lakers traded all these picks in the Anthony Davis trade, future Lakers picks look a lot more valuable now because of the fact that the, the Pelicans are going to end up with a top 10 pick out of this.
0: I was going to say, how about present Lakers picks? The Pelicans are, like, throwing a party, and the Grizzlies are—Grizzlies are, like, can you guys be a little better so we can have a chance at, get, at getting this pick, a better chance of getting this pick? Uh, Mark, this was on my list, and Mark Stein uh, sort of put it out there today in his Substack newsletter— Charlotte, for some combination of Hayward and something, Hayward has two more years left on his big contract after this one, has been, I think, a disappointment in Charlotte, mostly because of injuries. The team is almost like appears to have moved on functionally from him already. Uh, obviously, he'll play a lot when he comes back. He's been back for a couple games and out for a couple games. But the team is has a roadmap to like surviving now without him. Does that... And then again, you're not getting Russell Westbrook to pair him with LaMelo Baller. You're getting him to buy him out and then figure out what happens. Does that does that move the needle for you for either team?
2: I think it's definitely intriguing for the Lakers. Again, the same injury concerns, but Hayward is the kind of guy you'd want to put around these players. Guy who can defend multiple positions, doesn't need the ball, but can create with it, all of those things. He, he would be a, an ideal target, I do think, for the Lakers.
0: And Charlotte's perspective, you just you just don't seem to want any part of this from any of these teams.
2: It's just a like collective shoulder shrug, right?
0: Okay. But then I won't even go into the other ones. People will nominate Tobias Harris, but that doesn't get me anything if I'm Philly. If I'm Philly, I want immediate cap savings more than anything else. So I'm not getting that this summer. I even thought like Lowry Markinen and Kevin Love, but why would Cleveland do that? Like Markinen has been I think Mark has been okay. Like, I'm not psyched about that contract if I'm Cleveland. And, and Love is a six-man-of-the-year candidate with one more year left on his contract. It just becomes, like, not really worth my trouble to upend my team like that. And then the Knicks. Randall, who has a gazillion years left on his deal. Fournier, who has two years left on his deal. Maybe the Knicks are the one team who'd be like, you know what, might as well just play the guy. He's Russell Westbrook. People will come watch him. He'll get triple-doubles and... What it, it it can't be worse than like trying Alec Burks out at point guard and who's he's been fine. He's just not a point guard. It, that one that one just feels unpleasant. It's like I make a my I have like an involuntary spasm of nausea just saying all of those names and imagine them being traded for each. I don't think anyone's happy with that one. Yeah,
2: it's a mutual sadness trade. I it feels like a very early two thousands trade, especially when these contracts were much longer and teams were like. We we just need a, a different problem than we have right now.
0: It's probably a pretty good trade for the Lakers if you think that Randall has a way to not get back to what he was last year but become a different kind of good player around different other kinds of good players than, than he was, was this year. To get that for Russ, I think sounds good. The years, the years are... Uh, are not great. I guess what you're telling me is like Laker fans should go on and just start making the John Wall Lakers jersey <laughs> now on like the cool. NBA's jersey would we'll just make it right now. Do,
2: do you think that I'm sure the photoshops are already long done. We're done in January before the deadline.
0: The, the, the interesting it's not interesting. The question then becomes if Russ is traded and bought out who's signing him. Does this become a Carmelo Anthony post Houston situation where it's like wait a second he's still out of the league for this long. Like I don't like I I'm I'm asking not in jets, like who's who's signing Russ to the one year, 10 million, two year, $18 million deal. What's the team?
2: I mean, I don't have one off the top of my head. I thought there was a certain sense of recognition going back to when Westbrook first got benched in the fourth quarter and Carmelo was talking about it post-game and like, i I think he he empathizes because he he's been through this already and, and managed to come out on the other side of it and he was we didn't talk about him, but he was one of the minimum players who for the most part did do exactly what the Lakers expected him to do I mean you know they were probably counting on him a little too much, but he made threes he helped some of those small lineups particularly in early in the season so there there is maybe a, a positive outcome, but you know I think the the Allen Iverson comparisons to how quickly he was out of the league are understandable because those guys, players like that, have a tough time becoming role players. Carmelo had the shooting skill that he could do it. If you're Westbrook or you're Iverson and everything is based on your ability without the ball and you're no longer as good as our other options with the ball, where do you go from there?
0: Maybe Washington brings him back. They seem to have happy memories of that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's change gears. That, that's, that has now fulfilled... My personal quota of Lakers talk, I can't do it anymore. I I almost half expect on the next episode of TV I do to get asked, like, can the Lakers still make a run? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're out. We can't do it anymore. They can't make a run. It's over. Um, KP, give me your first team all-rookie, and then after you're done with your first team all-rookie, give me your rookie of the year. I'm assuming – that every single voter, including the two of us, I don't know if we're both voters or whatever for this, will have four names on first team all rookie in Sharpie, and then the fifth name there'll be some variability. But give me your first team all rookie.
2: Yeah, to me there is a clear drop off after five, so it was not difficult for me to fill that five, fifth spot, and I I think it was, and I think all of these players legitimately should get consideration for rookie of the year based on what they've done this year. So my first team is. Obviously, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Franz Wagner. I assume those are your four.
0: Those are the four that I think. I think he just got. They have to be. They have to be on every ballot. I, I just can't. How are they? Any of those guys on second team? I don't know. So it's only the fifth spot. So I'm very anxious. I have three names in contention for my fifth spot, and one that I'm leaning strongly to. Who did you give it to?
2: So I, I should like preamble, we did this last year talking about the all-rookie teams, the Rookie of the Year. It's an interesting award because do you approach it the same in terms of value as the other awards? Or do you say the scale is lower because the expectations are lower for rookies? So someone like Jalen Green, who has been very impressive since the All-Star break, has an extremely bright future. He's on my top 25 under 25 ballot that's coming out next week on ESPN+. Plus, But- He's been a poor defender this season. He's not a great playmaker. Struggled with his efficiency before the All Star break. So I I don't have him on my first team. And to me, the the fifth person and someone who might end up on my on my Rookie of the Year ballot because I think he's played that well.
0: Whoa, whoa, that, we're getting spicy. That's now. spicy.
2: Yes. He came up earlier this week, Chris Herring mentioned that he and Evan Mobley were his candidates for all defensive second team. And that's Herbert Jones, who if you look at not on Herb. If you look at him from an advanced stats perspective, his case is very similar, I think, to Mobley's in many ways in terms of, you know, below-average offensive player plays a very small role compared to the other guys on this list, but defensively has made a huge difference for the Pelicans. And in terms of on-off impact adjusted for teammates and opponents, you know, he's, he's very near the top of this list, if not at the top of this list.
0: That is where I am leaning as well. Herb Jones for the last... rookie spot first team had everyone stayed healthy i think this is probably josh giddy's spot he averaged like 12 7 and 6 shooting hit or miss defense hit or miss but the the passing was just for a rookie outrageously good given that he's missed a bunch of games i think he finished with i don't know how many minutes i got all the rookies in front of me but um i I i'm fine giving this to Herb jones doing it on a team not a winning team but a team that's been playing I mean, under some degree of pressure for, like, 60 games now. Like, every single win was meaningful to them once they went 3-16, and 16, even just to make the play-in. He's starting, he's shooting it just well enough from 3 that I feel okay when he shoots an open catch-and-shoot 3. Shooting well from 2. The defense is just, it's all defense-level quality to some degree anyway. I'm giving him this spot over Giddy and Jalen Green. Jalen Green's averaging 17 a game. He's second in scoring among rookies. Behind Cade Cunningham, obviously the advanced stats hate him. The efficiency hasn't been there all year, but the efficiency is is there right now. It's just it kind of is too little, too late on the everything but empty calories front for him. But I I let me make this clear. That kid's a stud. I love Jalen Green. I would have really no problem with getting him on the first team. I just I'm putting him on second team because it feels like those first three or four months were just what you would expect. Like I remember talking to a couple of GMS about this. They're like, man, I. Would, should we be down on Jalen Green? I was like, no, this is exactly young guard put into a score first role on a terrible team. Like This is what you get. You get a lot of misses and a lot of weird decisions, but the talent is there. And now the talent is shining through, but I'm putting him on second team.
2: I mean, the other interesting thing on Green for a second is how similar his stats are to Anthony Edwards last season. Same kind of second half leap. And I I had Anthony Edwards third on my rookie of the year ballot last year. So I think it's telling the difference between those two guys it's actually more about the depth of this year's rookie class and how many players are contributing in key roles.
0: I love Jalen Green. He can pass. He can shoot. He can shoot off the dribble. He's got a nice mid-ranger, which I know is unsexy, but I like when he just walks into a, an open pick-and-roll too. He's got the tools and the will to be a good defender. I'm all in. Um, so so your Rookie of the Year ballot, if it has Herb Jones, maybe, that means it's not going to have one of Evan Mobley. Scotty Barnes, or Cade Cunningham. So what is your tentative rookie of the year about Kevin Pelton, and how quickly should I banish you from this podcast as a result of it?
2: <laughs> I mean, obviously, Pistons fans are going to be disappointed if Cade, if in fact, does not end up on my ballot, which he isn't provisionally. I. I think the idea that, you know, it was just a slow first month for him is a little overplayed. He wasn't as bad the first month as people remember. It was really just that first week when he was coming back from injury that It was
0: like it was like four games.
2: And in like every local broadcast that you watch that play the team plays against the Pistons, they'll mention like that slow start. And it's like, okay, we're, we're overselling this a little bit. But it wasn't until March that he really became efficient in the large role that he's playing. And March, he was awesome. Again, long-term outlook, I think I have him highest of this year's rookies on my top 25 under 25 ballot. But I do think given that, you know, as you mentioned, the other three guys are playing important roles for teams that are going to make the postseason and have been... You know, more more effective overall. They're certainly providing more at the defensive end than than, uh, than Cunningham is. I I probably do have all three of them ahead, and Wagner is right there as well in terms of the on off impact. He's been up there with Jones and Mobley, who are at the top of that group.
0: Let's clarify something important. Make the playoffs, Cleveland and New Orleans. That's why I we said don't postseason. Know if they're making the playoffs. They're making the play in. Yes. We have to fight against this idea. I agree. That there are twenty playoff teams with which Adam Silver—I almost called him Adam Sandler—Adam Silver <laughs> kind of said yesterday at Board of Governors, "Like we'll have twenty teams in the playoffs." I think he said something like that. I'm like, no, 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 we have sixteen teams in the playoffs, and we have four teams that get the brown participation ribbon for being participants on the way to the playoffs. Just, a, just a note of bookkeeping, Mister Pelton.
2: Uh, completely fair. I, I used postseason there intentionally for a reason to distinguish. Play in from the Oh, see playoff. now,
0: uh, now you're you're tisk tisking my tisk tisk. I, I was wrong to tisk tisk <laughs> you is what you're saying, and you're correct. You're grammatically correct. I've I've I relent.
2: <laughs> you know, precision precision is key for me. Uh, so I I told you that the spicy rookie of the year take I had with Scotty Barnes is is my choice over Evan Mobley, and I gotta say, then I went through and did the full research, and now I'm not sure anymore. I, I'm probably leaning towards Mobley because the the adjusted on-off impact has been a little greater. Barnes' case is more about the box score statistics, but understandably, a lot of box score stats are going to undervalue what Mobley is doing at the defensive end of the court. I think either of them is completely legitimate choices, and uh, I, I definitely want to take this opportunity to say to Raptors fans that I did, did not grade Scotty Barnes' selection a D+. Plus. This is a graphic that's been going around uh, Raptor's Twitter since October. And it was the off-season grade I did for the Raptors, which was based more on their other moves that they made after that that I, I didn't like as much. The the Drogic trade, the the contracts for Kem Birch and uh, Gary Trent Jr. that allows him to get back into free agency. Why is there
0: so much Kem Birch slander on my podcast? I... I don't even invite it. It just happens. People come on here and, and slander Kem Birch and I have to defend his honor. I don't want to do it.
2: Well, we can debate whether those moves justified a D plus. I mean, I think the Raptors were pretty thin for the first half of the season for a reason. But unfortunately, when ESPN social media was advertising this piece, they took the last line, which is that like, OK, I, I don't like those moves, but none of them matter long term compared to whether Scottie Barnes is better than Jalen Suggs, who people expected the Raptors to take fourth. And they took that quote and put Scottie Barnes's photo with it. And it makes it look like I'm saying I'm grading at this because of Scottie Barnes when he was actually saying the opposite. Like, look, we don't know about rookies. Admittedly, I liked Jalen Suggs better. Scotty Barnes has completely exceeded my expectations. So happy to say that to Raptors fans, how awesome Scotty Barnes is and was, but just, just know that that was not what I was doing with that piece. So can you can you
0: explain the pivot to Mobley? Because I've got all the advanced stats up right here and, and not all of them, some of them on basketball reference. PER, Scotty has passed him. VORP, Scotty has passed him. Windshare, Scotty has passed him. bip Box score plus minus Scotty has passed him. Scotty's passed Mobley by by a little bit in each category. Um, so what what numbers what stuff are you looking at that has you pivoting to Mobley?
2: Yeah, like I said, it's more in the uh, the adjusted plus minus range. Uh, you know, 538's Raptor. One of the things I like about the the graphical presentation of that is that they break out the the box rating based on box score stats, and then the rating based on on off and your plus minus. And Scotty is higher in the box rating, as you would expect. But Mobley does better in the on-off, even though the Cavaliers, I think, have been slightly better with him on the bench this season. But that's mostly a function of just how awesome Kevin Love has been, I think.
0: I think it's really close. I, I've been leaning Mobley all season. It's getting really close. I, I just think, if just player to player, I think the single skill that shines brightest on an impact winning level is Evan Mobley's defense. I, I that's, that's what my gut has been saying all year. You know, Scotty Barnes does a little bit of everything, including a lot of defense too. It, it can be hit or miss on some nights, but I, I just, Evan Mobley is already an all defense level player. And to me, that has shined brightest of all the skills that they have all year, but it's getting close. Scotty Barnes keeps getting better. He's now played like 250 more minutes than Mobley and, I don't care that much about 250 minutes, but if it's really, really close, sometimes I can use that as a tiebreaker. I don't really know where I'm going, but I don't think that's spicy. Herb over Cade Cunningham would it, be spicy. Yeah, yes, that and, definitely And I, I know what the numbers say about his shooting efficiency and this and that. I just About two or three months ago and continually since then, Cade Cunningham got to the point where when the ball is in his hands, I feel pretty good about what's going to happen for the Pistons. Now, what's going to happen sometimes is he'll miss a step back two, or somebody who's not very good will miss a kick out three because the Pistons are young and rebuilding. But I feel confident with the ball in his hands, and that that's a big deal to me. Let's go to second team real quickly. Um, So, so if we both have – let's pretend we both have Herb on the first team in Penn. So our first team is Mobley, Barnes, Wagner, Cunningham, Herb. Who is your – uh, sec- I assume we both have Jalen Green on second team based on what we've just said. So that leaves four spots. Uh, give me your other four remaining second team rookies.
2: So the ones I figure we have in common are Giddy, we already talked about. Chris Duarte does really well in terms of the on-off impact metrics. Missed a lot of time in the second half of the season. So, you know, that worked against him a little bit. Not super efficient, but still, still I think belongs here. And then I, I'm going to assume you also have Bones Highland, who, like, he's scoring as much per 36 as Cade and Jalen Green. Obviously doesn't play as much as those guys, and he's playing primarily against backups coming off the bench for the Nuggets. But he's, again, made a difference for a, a, a winning team, a playoff team, along with the addition of DeMarcus Cousins in solidifying that, that second unit that was such a problem for them earlier in the season. So we, are we in agree to, agreement on those three as well?
0: Not quite. Oh. So the two locks, which brings us to seven of the ten slots, are Jalen Green and Josh Giddy. So that's we're done with that. Those guys are really good. They deserve it. I don't—talk me out of Alperin Shengun being a lock for a second-team all-rookie spot because he's my eighth guy right now over Bones, over Duarte— over some other names that we'll mention in in conjunction with these slots. Why is it not just Shengun, who has incredible advanced stats? Obviously, he's a backup for a horrible team. He turns them all over all the time. He seems to travel 25% of the time he gets it. But the numbers are what they are. And he, you look at him, it's like defenses have to— have to plan for what that guy does as a passer and a post force and a rebounder. So talk me out of it. Why is he not just the next guy in line?
2: I mean, you're asking one of the, the I don't know if I want to call myself the president of the Alper Shingoon Chingun fan club, because there's, there's plenty of other people out there on that bandwagon, but I I'm certainly near the front of the line. So it's, it's a tough sell for me to do. I mean, you know, it's, it's similar to green where the on off impact has been pretty poor. And I, I think defensively, I, I think he's got the tools to to be a capable defender in the Jokic vein. But he, right now, it's often a struggle when he's on the court defensively. So his on-off numbers are pretty rough.
0: Well, I don't. can I just not care about that? Sure. Am I allowed course. to not care about his on-off numbers for a team that's trying to lose as many games as possible? I don't care. That's my response, Kevin. I don't care.
2: I'm not going to fight you on that one. But I do have one candidate for the all-rookie second team that I feel passionately about.
0: Have we you have not named this person yet? i have yet? not
2: name this person because I don't know. Alright, so he's let me l- let me
0: let me just reset for a second. So we did our first team. My second team right now, three spots are Giddy, Green, and damn the torpedoes, Alper and <laughs> Shengun. Okay. Now you may have talked me out of it, but you haven't yet. So I've got two spots left. I wonder if your cause celeb is going to I have I have two spots and four names. For those two spots. I wonder if your cause celeb is going to be one of the four. Please reveal this person's identity.
2: This is, you know, my Pelicans love pod for their rookie class. It's Jose Alvarado.
0: Wow. I need a second. How many minutes has Jose Alvarado played? 767 minutes.
2: Not that many. Give me 800 good minutes against 2,000 that haven't been as good.
0: I so I don't think it's crazy because he's been that good, although I will say he's tailing off now. He's yes. had two or three games now of like, oh, he only played eight minutes tonight. And and that and games that mattered a lot for the Pelicans. Um I I don't think it's crazy. Like he's been that good in limited minutes. He's one of the most fun players to watch um he's playing a combination of basketball and hide and seek at all times, <laughs> trying to get steals from people who literally don't see him crouching. It's it's almost like they're gonna put like a, a house plant on the sideline or something, and he's gonna hide behind the house plant and come out and steal <laughs> the ball from you. I don't think it's I I don't so he's your he's your So who are your five guys then? It's Alvarado, Giddy, Jalen Green, Bones, and who else? Duarte. Duarte.
2: I mean on on Alvarado. Like with him on the court, they're outscoring opponents by nine points per hundred possession. I was
0: gonna say it's like ten or something. It was the last time I checked.
2: Yeah, I mean the next highest player who actually plays minutes for them, Tony Snell, in, is in there as well. But uh, is Ingram at three point three? So that's that's a pretty considerable impact, and it's matched by you know what what we can see him doing with the eye test defensively. Like you know he is he is a problem. I don't at know that end of the court. how
0: are how are Pelicans. Truther is going to rec- reconcile this with the ESPN hates the Pelicans and wants the team to move out of New Orleans narrative, conspiracy theory. I don't understand. How can both of these be true? ESPN's Kevin Pelton is nominating two Pelicans for his all-rookie team.
2: You know, I think they'll find something else somewhere. Uh, I, I, the, uh, the future power rankings they can, they can still lean on.
0: So here's my team then. I don't have Jose Alvarado just because of the minutes. He's on my long list. Which basically includes every rookie in the league. <laughs> down to Terry Taylor, who's been outstanding in a very limited number of minutes. Shout out to the Pacers. I have Giddy, Jalen Green, Shen Goon. And then I have to choose two of the following four players. Bones, Duarte, Io Desumnu, and Davion Mitchell. Who should I choose? Le- I'll tell you where I'm leaning. Bones and Io. And I can because I just value Io started on a real team for a lot of the season, shot threes, well, not very many, shot them well, really good defensive player, had big high assist games when they needed someone to handle the ball. I know the usage rate is minuscule. I know the points per game are minuscule. I know he couldn't do right now what Jalen Green is really doing. I just i, I I'd give him the nod over over Duarte and Davion Mitchell. But Davion, Duarte, to your point, he's actually played more more minutes than Bones Highland, despite being absent for a lot of the last six weeks. And I can hear the Kings fans saying, wait a second, what about off night? Off night, Davion Mitchell has played 2,000 minutes. He's a, a, a good defensive player already. And I don't really have a great argument other than he can't shoot. And I know his shooting has improved, but he's still at 48% from twos, 38% from threes. His defensive metrics aren't actually all that good and I and I, I'm starting to wonder if he's the kind of an Avery Bradley type where he is a really good defender like hounding people up and down the court but his size sort of brings limitations with it in in, in terms of contesting shots and rebounds and all that I don't I don't really feel strongly about it but I'm leaning bones and Io. what do you think of that
2: that's been my comparison for Mitchell as well I mean I think he does make more places help defender than Bradley does but uh I I mean this goes back to the Question in the defensive player of the year, you know, every way you slice it, looking at adjusted plus minus help defense and particularly help defense at the rim comes out as way more valuable defensively than on ball defense, even though our eyes, our eye is often drawn to who's defending on the ball. Uh, Mitchell was along with Austin Reeves. He was the the next group out for me. Uh, Desun was on off impact. And maybe that's unfair because he's been playing opposite Lonzo Ball and Caruso, who have been world wreckers when they've been healthy for the Bulls this season. Uh, has been pretty muted. Uh, so I think that's why he he was not in particularly strong consideration for me.
0: Interesting. Interesting. My next list of guys is Duarte, as I mentioned. I wish Kaminga had played more. I have a soft spot for Trey, man. Watford in Portland. Trendon Watford's put up some nice minutes. Josh Christopher I kind of like. Doesn't, doesn't make a lot of shots, but I, I, when he makes shots, it looks great. Kispert has... Nobody. I. How many people are watching the Wizards right now? Are there like 19 people in Washington DC? Like how many? How many people are watching on television right now? I. 19. I think
2: 19. That sounds about right.
0: I mean, I've been. It's 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 rough. I mean, they're playing okay, but it's just like what is going on here. Um. Then I had Alvarado too. Well, maybe I. I guess I got I to. maybe for rookies. I don't really look so hard at on-off like I do for awards at the higher level because my expectations is just that they're not going to be very helpful players and so I'm looking more for like when they're on the floor how do they look do they look like they belong do they have skills that help my team even if other skills or lack of skills hurt the team and Io passed that kind of test to me I truthfully didn't even look at his on-off numbers.
2: Hence the preamble that I think that I approach this differently than a lot of all rookie and rookie of the year voters do and and come to some different conclusions, understandably, as a result.
0: Have you done you haven't done your defense stuff yet, right?
2: I have not looked at that now.
0: Your all defense and your defensive player of the year and, and all of that. It sounds though, it sounds as if you are heading in the direction of not voting Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year. And I have to say I've dug into defensive player of the year a lot. I still don't know who I'm voting for. I, I'm with you in that just—you I you don't have to sell me on Marcus Murray. He's incredible. He's been on my first team all defense, I think, multiple times. I just—I I have a hard time getting there. Like, this guy's the most impactful defender in the NBA, more impactful than these other huge guys who block shots and protect the rim against— I just—I'm having a hard time getting quite all the way there.
2: I mean, one thing I looked at this week was if you look at the three-year— luck adjusted RAPM adjusted plus minus on NBA shot charts.com. That's the most predictive version of the three that they do a single year, a three year and a five year. If you look at all the three year stretches they have in their database and the top five players in, in defensive RAPM in that span, there's only one guard in the top five in any year. Caruso this year is number one remarkably in the three-year version and he's the only one like just at the highest levels i think rim protection can make so much more of a difference defensively than even what smart is doing which is not strictly just on ball defense like we were saying about you know avery bradley historically he's making a lot of plays as a help defender taking charges coming up with steals blocking shots boxing out as you've talked about and still i just don't think he can quite get there in terms of the highest level value
0: and switching, as I said to Chris Herring earlier in the week, switching is a form of rim protection. Like if you have got a lot of guys who can switch, it's it's hard to get to the rim. Um, I don't know. I'll see where I end up on that. Well, those are all rookies. My conclusion from this is that you have been overthrown as president of the Alper Shengun <laughs> Fan Club. You're out, and your credentials are it was it was you know it was a fraudulent election in the first place. Your credentials are now called into question. I'm sorry. Find a new find a new rookie. Find wow. a new slant. KP.
2: Yeah, that's completely fair. I mean, it's a it's a new year. Maybe I'll have to uh, take up the Keegan Murray fan club this year, although he's he's probably gotten too popular at this point.
0: All right, Mr. Pelton, thank you for everything you do. Outstanding work. Um, I can't wait to see your all defense teams and I'm going to learn a lot from that. I'm sure. Uh, thank you for everything. We'll we'll see you down the line and as usual, go cracking. Go
2: cracking.